podcast. We've been working our way through Joshua, and it's very rich ground here. And so we're in Joshua chapter 3, and this is the chapter where Israel is preparing to cross the Jordan River into the Promised Land. And so, Steve, can you just read Joshua 3, verses 1 through 7? Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you shall have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And the Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and they went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will, I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel. And they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Okay, so they're, they're heading out. They start early in the morning. They came to this spot uh, before they cross. They talk about this thing in verse 3 called the Ark of the Covenant. So help us out. What, what is this thing and why is it important? Well, the Ark of the Covenant was, uh, a, was within the Holy of Holy of the Tabernacles. It was the... It held three items. It held the, the tablets of stone that had the Ten Commandments. But these, and those were the, the same tablets that, that Moses took to the top of Mount Sinai, and the finger of God wrote down the Ten Commandments on them. Correct. It also held the staff of Aaron rod that, that budded was also there. And I believe it also held a, a piece of manna. So a little small thing of manna, yeah. As well. But... During the once a year sacrifice, this is the significance of it that the high priest would do. It, it was back in what they called the Holy of Holies. So in the in the tabernacle, you have an outer section that had several different uh, artifacts in it: the the lamp of light, lights the light stand. You had the show table of showbread. You had some other things, but back uh, behind another curtain was called the Holy of Holies, and the high priest would go back in there once a year. He was the only one allowed to go back there. It was this one person one day a year. And they would and they would have their sacrificial lamb. He would take it, the blood of that lamb with hyssop and sprinkle that on the top of the ark. Now the ark, you can see here that they're saying keep a special distance away from it and other things as well. Uh, only the high priest was allowed to go in there. And it was so wholly separated, a place where God dwelt, that they tied a rope on to this high priest so that if he had a heart attack 
or something else, they could pull him out. But the key significance was, was that the blood, the sacrificial blood from that once a year was sprinkled on the top of that Ark of the Covenant, the covenant that God made with Abraham. Right. And that actual picture, the word picture, is special significance for me because that was the message that caused me to become a Christian. That was when I really understood the gospel. It's this. The Ten Commandments inside the box are the law. They represent the entire moral code of God. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, and uh, don't, don't, uh, don't murder, and which we've all been guilty of, right? And so God would, the picture is that God would look down, remember in, in the wilderness march, the, the, the fire by night and the cloud by day would hover over where? The Holy of Holies. Holy of Holies. And the picture was that God would look down onto the tablets of stone and realize that we had violated God's law. But when he's looking down, what the first thing he would see is the blood right. that's sprinkled on top of the block on top of the box. So the blood sacrifice covers the law and becomes our our uh, our propitiation, pays for our, our, our sin. And so this this box is the most holy item in the Jewish worship. It's just a box made out of wood, but it was covered in gold. It had uh, some angels carved on top of it, and it had to be moved by only by the priests carrying it on poles. And it was very, very holy and special because of its significance of being the, the covering for the nation's sins. So that's why it was important. This was the most holy object in Jewish worship. And so in verse 3, what did the priest do with it? Or what is they commanded to do with it? They're to take it and carry it. Uh, as they moved the ark, there were poles, that how they moved it. And it was carried on the priest's shoulders to move the ark around. So they're supposed to go out in front of the people um, before them. Right. And it says 2,000 cubits. That's roughly 1,000 yards. Uh, roughly a cubit's about 18 inches so it's uh, you can do the math but it was uh, basically a cubit was the distance on a man between the tip of the fingers and the elbow and so it the exact measurements changed but it's roughly a thousand yards which is a long way right right and so why would God want the people to be so far away why do you think it doesn't say so we're speculating to a little bit, but why do you think he wanted us to be so far away from this holy object? One, one of the things at, towards the end of where we read, he says one of the reasons that you want to not let it go before you because God's going to do something, a miracle today. He's going right. to do things that you've never seen before. Because remember, these people weren't, this wasn't the generation that had come across the Red Sea. Correct. That, that, that generation had fallen away. So Part of it, as you say, is because the miracle of parting the flooded Jordan River. You ever see a river when it's at flood stage? This is a, a dangerous thing. So part of it was just a practical aspect of we don't want anybody drowning in the river while they're watching what's going on. But another part of it is just to reinforce the holiness of this object. 
that this object represented being able to atone or give payment for the nation's sins. It was the very tablets with the law of God in it. And so the words of God were in this box, as well as uh, the ability to cover our sins. And so in verse 4, he says, Stay back away from it, don't come near it, that you may know the way by which you should go. That's the other part. Is the, they were so, the nation, the people, were supposed to follow the ark. Right. So if they stay back far enough, they don't get lost, they go the right direction. Right? So here's, here's the next question. They are about to go into a land that they don't know. They haven't been there before. They're following God's lead, okay? but they're following God's lead into a direction that's new. Have we ever been put in a situation ourselves where God asked us to go off in a direction that's new? I've never been this way before. God, you're asking me to do this task. I've never done this. I don't know where I'm going. I feel like I'm lost. God, why are you leading me off like this? Have you ever felt like that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that happens to all Christian lives. So how do we react? I mean, like like here, did Israel have any reason to doubt God? What did he just tell them back in chapter 1 over and over again? I'm going to, this is the land I've given to you. I'm going to be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. And so, but they tell him here, you're going off into a land that you don't know yet. You don't know the way. And so stay back from this and watch the ark. Watch where God's leading you so that you may know the way by which you should go, it says in verse 4. So where do I go when I don't know which way to go? Where do I look to? Follow God. Follow God. God will always lead us in the right direction. He will not leave us nor forsake us. He'll always be there for us, even though at the end of verse 4, they've not passed that way before. Nevertheless, God has. He knows where we're going. So then in verse 5, it uses kind of a $3 theological word here, consecrate. What does that mean, Josh? Or, or uh, some of the translations may say sanctify yourselves. What does that mean, and and what are they supposed to do? It means to set apart, to be holy, to show oneself holy, to be treated as holy, to consecrate, to treat as holy, or to dedicate. Yeah, it's to to set something apart for God's use. And that's what that word holy means, is to set apart. It's, It's set apart from everything else. It's separated holy. That's what the word as holy means as well. Yes. It's, it's not necessarily the same sense that we think of as, oh, it must be diamond and gold and very expensive. That's the, the pots and pans that were used for the sacrifices were just pots and pans, but they were supposed to be set aside and only used for that purpose. So they were sanctified, they were set apart, they were consecrated. That's how he's saying to people here, consecrate yourselves. Yeah, and I think some people have the, the thought that holy means being perfect or being you know, better or reaching a different point than everybody else. But it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean being perfect. It means being set apart yes. from everything else. Yeah. There's a reason that it's set apart. 
There's a reason that it's different from other areas or separated from other areas. It's consecrated, right? Set apart, holy. Yes. So God leads us off in a direction. Is that ever scary? Absolutely. A little bit mysterious? Absolutely. Uh, when God leads us off into an unknown direction? Yeah. But this is, and this is the instruction though. You're going to follow, but you need to set yourselves apart. You need to get yourselves into a place where you're apart from the world, you're apart from everything else, because God is going to work tomorrow. Jehovah is going to do wonders tomorrow. So what should we do if we're about to go off into a Christian work that is important to the Lord? We need to consecrate ourselves we need to set ourselves apart we need to go to God and focus on him and get you know right with him so to speak in regards to it get that focus together that you're going to be able to see where God is going yeah. and where he's directing stay away us. from worldly things right. so then verse 7 the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. So he's about to exalt Joshua. What happens to most people when they get exalted in the eyes of the people around them? What happens to the average person? Pride. Pride. They start thinking that they did it themselves, right? They forget who it was that brought them to that part, uh, and they, they have a tendency to start saying, hey, look what I did, look, look what I've accomplished. What, uh, what does Paul say in the New Testament that God gave him in order to keep him from getting puffed up and prideful? Thorn. Thorn in the flesh. Thorn in the flesh. And Paul prayed for God to take that thorn away, he said several times, and I think he says specifically on three occasions. Three, three times, yeah. I have prayed for and it. And God's answer was? No, because it's there to keep you humble. My grace is sufficient. Yeah. And so sometimes God leaves us with something that we'd rather not have, but it's there to keep us from getting puffed up. Right. And so the lesson is, don't get puffed up, and God won't have to come along <laughs> and correct us. He, he'll make it a little easier for us if we never get puffed up in the in the start point. Right. So, verse 8, the priests are carrying the ark. What does God tell them they're supposed to do in verse 8? And as for you, command the priests who bear the ark, when you come to the brink of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. So they're supposed to stand, stand there. Right. So the priests are carrying this ark, and God tells them that they're supposed to go stand in the water. Now remember, this river is at flood stage. It's the time of the year when, if you've ever been near a flooded, flooding river, the water is moving very quickly. Uh, it could easily have knocked somebody over. You just don't walk out into a fast-moving flooded river. Uh, but yet, God tells them, take the most holy object in Jewish worship, and take it out into this flooded river. Tell me how that makes sense. <laughs> what do you think's going through their mind at the time? Uh, yeah, I mean, when you, well, you, you know how swift the current is. It could, it could carry you away pretty quick. So, you know, not only is it just flood stage, but it's also usually swift moving water as well. 
So what would we do if God tells us to do something that, wait a minute, God, did I hear you right? Uh, you sure this is really what you want me to do? Yeah, and usually God is quite clear. What would you do if you were a priest and God tells you to take the most important object out there? They did it. There's no indication here that they doubted God. Right. So they had the faith. And uh, let's find out what happens if we read the, start at verse 9 and read to the end of the chapter. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the, of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of, of the Lord, Jehovah, of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man, and when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with their priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest. The waters come down from above, stood, and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon, and those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabia, Araba, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Okay, so uh, in verse 14, they take this ark and they carry it out into this river. And in verse 15, at what point did the waters stop? As soon as they tipped their toe in it. As soon as, they, as soon as they actually took action and went into the river. Did it stop when they had the faith that it would stop? No. Did it stop when they thought about no. when it was going to stop? No. It stopped when they actually took action and actually obeyed what God said to do, which right. is pick up this box and carry it into the river. When does the fruit of God's blessing come to be? When you actually partake and do what it is that he's got planned for you to do. Funny how that works. Right. How when I imagine it and want it, it doesn't happen near as much as when I actually do something about it and actually obey God. Right. So we're saved by purely faith, correct? How do we get the fruit? We get the fruit by actually obeying. Right. right. So faith brings forth fruit. At what point? When you take action. When you take action. Remember in the New Testament, the story of the lepers? I think there were 10. Mm -hmm. 
that came to Christ and asked to be clean. And what did he tell them? Go show yourself to the priest. Right. When were they healed? When they actually took action. When they started to go off and tell the priest. Right. And that was the point they were healed. It wasn't while they were just standing there. They had to follow his directions, which is actually go show yourself to the police. So when does God act in our lives? Whenever we take that step of faith. Yeah. Whenever we believe. Whenever we, whenever we believe and actually take action, that's when, that's when the fruit comes. And the last thing, just wrapping up, the last thing I have in this chapter is in verse 16, it's got this somewhat tedious description of exactly where the water stopped. They rose up in a heap, whereas these were cut off downstream and where it names the places. Myths and legends don't give you places and names and descriptions like that. They just don't. And so this is one of these little clues that says this is true history. It actually happened. It was a miracle. This is not some some legend, myth, fairy story. These actions actually happened at these, these locations. And, and we're going to come up into some spots in Joshua as we go through this where he's going to give us dates and how many years it took and, and what year these things happened, things like that. And, and also the... Uh the land, the riverbed, was instantly dry. Right. So it wasn't just that the waters were cut off, but the, the, the land beneath it was instantly dry. And so you go into river bottoms and they're muck. You, know, you get stuck sometimes, depending upon what's, what type of material is there, because they've been constantly wet. They're wet all the, all the whole time. And right. of course, th- this is flooded as well. But the but the second part of that is, is that it's dry land. The people aren't getting bogged down, you know, taking all their possessions and everything. It says the whole nation crossed right. over. And so that's everything. That's their belongings, possessions, their the tents, the things that they had and everything else. And once again, these are, you know, at least a million people or so that are doing this. Right. So that's the end of Chapter 3. So we'll pull it to the curb for there, and we'll hope you'll join us again next time here at Reasoning Through the Bible. We, what we do, I think you can see what we're doing is, is just a careful verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the Bible, and we hope you'll join us as we go along the way, because this is, as you can tell, it's very fruitful. The, the Word of God is, is very powerful and quick, and it's, it can change lives. And we're trying to be careful as we go through the Scripture and explore all these corners that oftentimes aren't, aren't taught. That's it for now, and we'll, we'll hope you see us again next time for Chapter 4. Mm-hmm.